This is a conversation that's been way too long in coming, but justice has finally prevailed for the guy who masterminded the biggest corruption scheme in the history of Ohio. Larry Householder is officially a bum. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. And Lisa, let's start with the trial of the year. Is Larry Householder guilty of masterminding the biggest corruption probe in the history of Ohio? How about Matt Borges, former Ohio Republican chair? They were both guilty as charged. Larry Householder was found guilty of racketeering, wire fraud, bribery, and money laundering, and to prove the racketeering, they had to show a pattern of illegal conduct. Apparently, the jury agreed. Uh, Matt Borges, the former state GOP chair, is guilty of racketeering for bribing Tyler Furman to get information on the House Bill 6 repeal effort. So both men will be sentenced by federal judge Timothy Black in the coming weeks, and they could get as much as 20 years apiece. Householder, in a brief statement after the verdict, said he still believes that uh, House Bill 6 is good legislation, and he said that his attorneys plan to appeal. Matt Borges says he may appeal, but he'll discuss that with his attorneys. He said it was not the verdict he was expecting, but he was glad for the opportunity to be heard. And he said, honestly, he thought what he was doing was not criminal activity. U.S. Attorney for the Ohio Southern District, Ken Parker, says you just can't sell the public trust. But he did decline to say, when asked by a reporter, if any First Energy executives will be prosecuted for paying the bribes to Householder and Generation Now. Well, I, I love Howard Householder saying uh, this is the first step in the process. This is the thousandth step in the process. The first step was when you decided to be corrupt. You know, the 500th step is when you started controlling 60 million in bribes. To act like this is early in the justice process, he's crazy. This is pretty much near the end. He might be able to appeal on a couple of grounds. It does not look very likely. I, I, I am kind of stunned that he maintains this this false front i mean they owned him the evidence against him could not have been more clear and then he got on the stand and lied like a thief as he was cross-examined at some point don't you think if you have any brain power whatsoever you would admit to yourself i'm cooked here and figure out how to make it as as little a penalty as possible i think it shows the depths of his arrogance quite frankly I mean, he really thought he was going to get on the stand and say, hey, this is just the cost of doing business. This is politics. And, you know, this was good legislation to begin with. So I think there was just a, a big heaping help of arrogance on his part. I love the the person we quoted in our story that said when he got on the stand, he was in politician mode. He thought he could do what he did as House Speaker, which is say whatever he wants, lie however he would with nobody to to refute him. But that's not the way court works. Let's talk a little bit about the reaction, because what was surprising was the number of people who didn't have one. Yeah, and those that we haven't heard from yet are uh, Governor Mike DeWine, House Speaker Jason Stevens, and Senate President Matt Huffman. Um, but the uh, Senate GOP spokesman, John Fortney, in a text said that Huffman can't comment because he's vice chair of the Joint Legislative Ethics Committee. It would seem that he would definitely have a comment in that case. But we did hear immediately from Lieutenant Governor John Husted. He said the justice system usually gets it right, and hopefully this will be a lesson to others. 
years. Uh, Ohio Republican spokesman, party spokesman Dan Lushek says a similar thing. He said this should be a warning to other bad actors who might want to try the same thing. Attorney General Dave Yost congratulated the uh, Department of Justice for its victory, and he said that public interest triumphed over self-interest. What's interesting is when they say this should be a lesson to others, because the lesson here is, is that our government is completely broken. This wasn't just bad actors. This is the laws that we've created to protect these bad actors in case after case. Let's go through them. Mike DeWine, the governor of the state, the guy who put Sam Randazzo as the PUCO chief, a guy very likely to face an indictment, says nothing about this this bill that he signed. He signed this bill. And if you remember on the first day after the householder raid, he defended it only when he got a wave of fury from people saying it's a stinking corrupt bill. Did he start to backtrack? Then look at Huffman. Huffman this week said he's not going to repeal the remaining parts of HB six because they would that would bring back green energy standards. So the lesson mm. he is teaching the children of Ohio is it's okay to have a completely stinky law on the books forged in corruption because the ends justify the means. He's not going to repeal it and then pass whatever he wants with regard to green energy standards. And let's face it, he marshaled the bill through that says natural gas is green energy. He clearly doesn't understand green energy. But but he doesn't. He's going to leave this rotten law on the books for all time. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. And of course, we've got a veto-proof supermajority now in, in the uh, Ohio General Assembly. So even if DeWine wanted to do the right thing. I don't know that his Republican colleagues would let him do that. The the other one I want to mention is Bill Seitz, the, the guy who testified for the defense and who throughout this investigation was picking away at it, saying there's no corruption here, no corruption here. How many times did he say there's nothing corrupt here? Well, guess what? The jury said, yes, there was corruption here. So what does he say now? I mean, he's been the poster child for defending this stinky thing. What, 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 how does it stick to him? That's the problem. The government is completely broken and they're not going to fix it. Laura, Layla, this has been a case we've been talking about for two and a half years since the raid of Householder's House. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, I just want to emphasize what you said. The fact that Matt Borges thought this was the way that you do business really speaks volumes and the way that householders just thought he could get off by being a politician. They, this, this is not the only time they've done this. Householders probably not the only corrupt person in the state legislature. I mean, maybe no one's commenting because they know what's in their closet. I just, if this was the norm and so many people thought this wasn't a big deal, you know, there are a lot of other really bad deals that are costing Ohioans millions and millions of dollars every year. Everybody who voted for him for House Speaker is tainted by this. His legacy now is the guy who masterminded the biggest corruption scheme ever. His kids, his grandkids, they're all connected to the guy who committed this horrible deed, betrayed the public trust. And there's no more saying it didn't happen. There's no more of this spin that we get from people like Bill Seitz. It's clear they're convicted. They're bad guys. They should have made a deal. It's today in Ohio. What's the new auto accident scam that the Ohio Department of Insurance is warning people about, Leila? They call this past posting. It's a type of insurance fraud that involves uninsured people attempting to get coverage after car crashes or property damage. 
and by manipulating the paperwork to make it look like they had the insurance when the incident occurred. And the the insurance industry says that this scheme can drive up insurance premiums for the rest of us. Apparently, from July 1st, 2021 to June 30th, 2022, the Department of Insurance received more than 7,400 claims of allegations of insurance fraud and, and insurance agent misconduct. And it opened more than 1,100 administrative and criminal investigations. 132 potential law violations were identified, and and they and they took administrative or criminal action against 162 people. They estimate that the economic impact of insurance fraud nationally is is over $308 billion a year to U.S. consumers and businesses, and that equals $932 annually for every American and more than $70,000 over a person's lifetime. What? I mean, here, okay, here's my problem. The insurance industry probably would have been better off not telling us about this (laughs) because now I'm pretty mad. I mean, this is, this is their problem. We as consumers can't fix this. It's not even something we can be on the lookout for. They are the ones who should be on the lookout for it. And I'm especially angry to see that agent misconduct plays a role in this and and that it's costing us money. So what are they doing to get a handle on this? So what's happening here is people who are already breaking the law by not having insurance, because we all know you're required to have insurance on your car if you drive it in Ohio, they get into an accident and then they get some corrupt insurance agent to backdate their insurance so that they look like they have insurance. I mean, it sounds like agent misconduct plays a role in at least some of these. I don't know how else one would be able to manipulate paperwork without the help of someone on the inside. I mean, that's how is it that 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 cost is put passed on to us the law abiding citizens who ha- do carry insurance and pay their premiums and yeah. I, and why are they telling well, us about this as if we need to be on the lookout for it fix your problem and you have to carry uninsured motorist insurance for people that you get into accidents with that don't have insurance what what throws me here is if i'm an insurance company and I have an agent who keeps signing up people, and then within days on the record, they're having accidents. I would start to question the quality of these agents that keep signing up people that are so accident prone. I mean, I just can't imagine that there are a lot of agents doing this. This works against their best interests. So if they know who the ones are, like, think, think about it. We talk about the, the time to crime for a gun, right? If, if a gun is bought and it's used in a crime within three years, it's probably a straw purchase. Well, if you if you did a similar metric from the time you insure somebody to the time they have an accident, I would think that would be a pretty clear clue that you got a problem here. Yeah, I agree. I'm just I'm I'm just so angry that this is a problem that we're paying for when really the oversight needs to be on the you know, on their side. I mean, there's nothing yeah, we as consumers can do to rectify this. No, uh, I mean, criminal prosecution, we can count on prosecutors to, to get involved when they hear about it. But it's it's just a weird one to put a warning out about. I know. When, that's what I mean. When, yeah, warning us of what? Like, the fact that I'm going to pay <laughs> 70 grand over my lifetime for this problem that I have no control over and am not a contributor to? Yeah, it was a head-scratcher story. That's why I put it on the list. It's Today in Ohio. The Norfolk Southern CEO appeared before a U.S. Senate committee Thursday. What did he tell the committee about East Palestine, Laura, and how was he, he received? He is going to 
stick around, basically, that the railroad is deeply committed to the town. He says, we're going to be there today, tomorrow, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. He says he's been with people, looked in their eyes and heard their concerns. He said he's deeply sorry. And any financial assistance that they've given is just a down payment that it's it's not quid pro quo and that he's met with community leaders and business owners and says he's going to support the long-term needs of this people. He also was a little defensive. He said Norfolk Southerns had fewer derailments last year than it had in a decade, which I don't know how that makes you look any better, but he claimed the personal injury rate is among the lowest in the injury. Of course, senators brought up the fact that a, a train engineer had just been killed this week uh, at Norfolk Southern. So he did say that the, Railroad would support the legislative intent to make rail safer. They did not say they would support the entire bill, which would require well-trained two-person crews aboard every train, increase maximum fines, and expand the hazmat training grants for local first responders. Yeah, well, I don't think they're going to get much of a say. We have seen a disturbing trend in the past week. We've talked in the past about how J.D. Vance seemed like he was trying to do the right thing here. But in the past week, he has dropped multiple race-baiting style questions. And really, yesterday, it wasn't a dog whistle. It was pretty when much flat out. When I read this out. Sabrina Eaton story, I, was, I, I had to speak up in the newsroom. I said, everybody, you got to listen to this. He said, I think our leadership, our media, and our politicians were slow to respond to this crisis, in part because of a certain segment of our leadership feels the people of East Palestine are a little out of style. They have the wrong politics. They're a little too rural maybe a little too white, which to I, I was just stunned. And Sabrina Eaton, I, I asked her, I said, did anybody respond to that? Because to me, that would be like, you know, a, a jaw dropper in a chambers. And she said, no, no one did. I, I mean, and he's you not, none of that, that quote is picking on the actual railroad that caused the problem. He's saying, you know, the media is to blame and, and the Democratic president. Yeah, this is, this is just, purely playing to white kind of racism. And you would think that people that are more mainstream in the Republican party would hear stuff like that and condemn it because it's just the worst element of the, the fringe of the Republican party trying to appeal to this white victimhood that there, there is absolutely no evidence to say anything was done in East Palestine because it's predominantly white. That is a ridiculous statement, but it hits those heartstrings. It is a ridiculous statement. Takes on but what I think it it has a, an audience that's finding it, right? And these people feel, you're right, like victims, and they are victims of a train derailment, of a disaster. But to use right. a disaster but, for a political purpose seems pretty shameful. But you didn't hear the right. condemnation, you, you know, and this is what Tucker Carlson does every night on Fox. It's there is. Yes, it appeals to a certain element of the population. It's not the majority of the population. And people should be condemning this to stamp. I it think out. those who uh, who do. are inclined to condemn it in the Republican Party are first going to wait to see if it works. <sighs> Very sad. It's today in Ohio. We had a crime this week that is beyond depraved. Lisa, what did criminals do to a double amputee when they robbed him this week? This poor fella, a 59-year-old Brunswick man, was assaulted on February 22nd by three men in the Broadway Slavic Village neighborhood. The suspects approached him as he sat in his car. They pulled a gun and forced him to drive 
and parked near railroad tracks east of Pearl Road. Then they hit him in the head with a gun, threw him onto the railroad tracks, and pushed his wheelchair into a ravine and burned his prosthetic legs. It was unclear how this man was finally discovered on these railroad tracks, but charged with aggravated robbery is Cleveland resident Aaron Parsons, a 26-year-old, who actually knew his victim. The victim said that they were friends. Um, And he said that, you know, as they were throwing him onto the tracks, they allegedly told him, if the cold doesn't kill you, a train will. I I just, it's staggering in its inhumanity. I mean, you burn the guy's prosthetic legs. Who does that? I, 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 I can't imagine how the judge in this case handles it because you you have to put your outrage aside. This is as outrageous as it gets. And but targeted too. I mean, this isn't doesn't sound like a random crime. I mean, he knew at least one of his attackers. So I just wonder what the backstory is there. You know, it sounds almost like a, a vengeance kind of thing. And they tell him you're gonna freeze or you're gonna yeah. get hit by a train, but either way you're gonna die. It's mm. just a one of the, I, we don't talk a lot about crime on this, but this one just jumped out. What is going on in Cleveland? It's today in Ohio. How much does the MAC tournament mean to Cleveland and where has it, oh, in Cleveland where it has taken place since the year 2000? Layla. Well, from an economic impact standpoint, the conference had a study done out of Kent State that showed that it generates $6 million a year or more than $100 million cumulatively in its 24 years here in Cleveland. And hosting this tournament has spawned other events, too. Next year starts three years of NCAA championship events with the women's final four, the 2025 men's first and second round games, and then the 2026 Division I wrestling championships all here in Cleveland. And the, the conference tournaments are, are contracted through 2030 in the city. And it's it's one of the longest running conference tournaments in a single venue. We're beat out by Madison Square Garden, which is hosting the, the Big East tournament for the 41st time right now. And last week, the Missouri Valley Conference completed its 33rd consecutive men's basketball tournament in St. Louis and its 29th consecutive men's basketball championship at their Enterprise Center. So the conference of, of 12 schools includes institutions in five neighboring states, Ohio, obviously, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, New York. The furthest school is is just 400 miles to the west in northern Illinois, but half come from Ohio, including Akron and Kent State. So the turnout is just great for this event here. And typical crowds on Fridays and Saturdays will run in the 8,000 to 10,000 range. And the local businesses just love this. It's definitely a time when downtown and the Gateway District come alive. Well, and you got to give credit to the Cavs organization for being so welcoming in the arena. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things people said is this is just a phenomenal place to have this. I mean, college students don't generally get to play in the professional basketball arenas. but, But for years now, the Cavs organization has rolled out the red carpet. And... It's an economic driver. It brings people downtown. It puts people in the restaurants. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mark Bona spoke to some of the uh, the owners of some of the local restaurants, and they are thrilled when this when this event rolls in. It's just a, a great time for for downtown. Go Miami. We get all excited <laughs> when we get the when we get the big the big tournaments. Like next year, we have the women's final four. But this is the the beaten potatoes of tourism and it to have it regular every year it's a credit to the way cleveland was handling it i said Would go you Miami. Say, go what 
my alma mater. <laughs> Good old Mac school. Get some Mac okay. shit. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We seem to have had some confusion on this, so we want to make it clear. Do you or can you use your driver license renewal to update your voter registration to avoid being tossed off the voter rolls? Absolutely, yes. You can use your driver's license renewal. You just have to check a box or say yes when the clerk asks. So in Ohio, we've talked about this before, if you fail to cast a ballot for two years, that triggers this process to remove you from the state's rolls. If you haven't done anything in the next four years, responded in any way, signed a petition, voted, then you can be taken off. And about 125,000 inactive voters were just canceled after the November 2022 election by Secretary of State Frank LaRose. So the good news is that you can just do this when you do your license. And somebody told me it's every eight years, but I just checked. I just did mine in January. And it was four years. So as long as I renew my license again in four years, I would be fine. Of course, I, I vote, but it's good to know. And you can actually do this at the BMV. Even if you're not renewing your driver's license, you can go in and, and do a change of address form. That will automatically uh, update your voter registration. Or you could get a form at the BMV to register to vote anyway. The only thing is, if you get kicked off the rolls, you can't go to the BMV to get back to like re up. If you check that box, that won't do anything. If you've been gone. Yeah. This, we, we brought this up because for some reason we had thought you couldn't do this yet. And then when I renewed my license, there was the button. I did it, uh, remotely online, but we've had several people in our newsroom say they did, they renewed in person and that they were able to renew for eight years or something like that. But they didn't remember being asked the question, uh, about voter, but uh, I mean, are you paying attention renewal, to everything which, that that clerk is telling you? Or are you just like, please let me out of the BMV? Yeah, I don't know. I well, but they're journalists, and you would think that because this has been controversial, they would have come back and said, "Hey, they asked me the question." They didn't remember it. I when I saw the button, it jumped off the screen at me. Uh, but but I guess the controversy lately has been you have to click the button right. to be proactive, and some have proposed that you should. It should be an opt-out system, which actually I think is ridiculous. I mean, all you've got to do to renew your registration if you haven't been voting is click a button. And if you can't handle that, yeah, you know, there, maybe you there was a be bill introduced anyway. in the last session that never got passed that would have done it. It would have been an opt-out system instead of an opt-in. But you're right; this doesn't seem very arduous. And there are people that keep complaining about the purging of the voter rolls. But when you look at the system, it's it's very fair. You have multiple ways to not get booted and you have to be inactive for a long time before you were removed. And we do need accuracy. Right. Or you could get voter fraud somehow if you had all these people on the rolls that didn't, you know, didn't live in Ohio anymore or who were no longer alive. I just can't believe you can renew your license online because you don't have to go take It was the first time I've done it, and I did have to unblock my Experian or whatever credit freeze. But after that, it was super simple. And the fact is I didn't have to go to the BMV. They mailed it to me within a week, I think. And I have the secure license. Okay. Okay. All scammers out there, she did relock it. I'm all relocked. Yeah, it was just for a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Don't don't announce to the world that I have an unlocked credit (laughs) account because that'll draw dangerous people. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How have researchers at the Cleveland Clinic 
figured out a better way to spot early signs of dementia during doctor's visits, Lisa? Yeah, they've developed a new screening tool to detect memory and cognition issues at early stage in older adults when it's included in their primary care visits. So it's a simple quiz. It's on a tablet and can be done while you're waiting for your appointment in less than 10 minutes. The questions are designed to assess memory and thinking skills. And in the study of this tool, they found that nearly all patients 65 and over could complete the test. 90% of those already diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment were identified through this tool, compared to only about 45% with the current screening tool. So lead author Stephen Rao says, if we can delay onset for five years, we can cut the number of people diagnosed in half. If we can delay onset by 10 years, we could practically eliminate the disease and improve quality of life and longevity with drugs and lifestyle interventions. It's estimated that 15 to 20 percent of people in America have mild cognitive impairment, which is a major risk factor for Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's a little worrisome. I think we all have moments where we walk into the kitchen and forget what we're there for. And you'd hate to have one of those moments while they're doing the assessment and have it marked that you've lost your ability I wonder, to... I wonder what kind of questions are on this this quiz. And you think it's it's having you recall things from your day or like memories from your lifetime or or is it more cognitive? I, I wonder what this is all about. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure they'd want to spread that because then people would study up before they go in. <laughs> what would be the point of wanting to be screened if you're going to try to beat the screening? <laughs> well, but I don't know if you've ever dealt with anybody in the early days of dementia. They're very worried that they're going to be put into a home and lose their liberty. I've dealt with mm-hmm. several and they're, it's just a automatic fear that if I'm starting to slip, I still believe that I should be able to take care of myself. They worry that that it'll be taken away. And so they do try to cover it up. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Remember when TRW had its headquarters out in Lyndhurst in that beautiful campus setting? Then they left and Legacy Village was built on most of that site. TRW gave the actual headquarters to the Cleveland Clinic. Layla, what has happened since? Now the clinic plans on demolishing that structure to sell off the property. It's a a 480,000 square foot, two-floor building in the secluded area off Richmond Road in the shadows of the Legacy Village Shopping Center. The clinic has tried to sell this property since 2019, but it's had no takers. So now it's going to tear it down and try again. As, as TRW was acquired by Northrop Grumman Corporation in 2002, the company gave this facility, as you said, it, at the time it was valued at $60 million, to the clinic with the caveat that they had to own the building for at least five years. And the clinic turned it into the home of some of its wellness treatments like massage therapy and acupuncture and, and herbal therapy and other things like that. And the clinic plans to end care at the site by the end of the month and move those practices elsewhere. So we'll see if they have better luck selling this place off uh, without the giant structure on it. It did. I was out there. It's been some years now, quite a few, actually. When Mike Roizen had his office out there, we went out to talk to him about some project. And it did feel like a bad fit for the clinic. Mm. It was cavernous. You remember our newsroom at 1801, (laughs) how it was built for a huge number of people. And when we left, it, it felt like we were in a corner of it and the whole place was a big empty warehouse. That's what it felt like out there. It felt like it, it just didn't fit what the clinic had in mind for it. It is a beautiful piece of property. 
so I, I'm surprised nobody wants it. It's right off the interstate. It's a key intersection and it's beautiful. I mean, it really is, is quite, it'd be a great place to work every day. You'd have serenity now. We'll have to see if anybody buys it once that building's gone. Listening to Today in Ohio. How are some state senators trying to meddle with how schools teach children about financial literacy? Laura, it's capitalism, capitalism, That's capitalism. Right. They want the state curriculum requirements to specifically mandate teaching free market capitalism. So any student who entered the ninth grade beginning in 2022 has to complete one half unit of a financial literacy instruction. This is either an elective course or in lieu of a half unit of math by graduation. This was passed in 2021 and basically you're supposed to teach kids how to make savvy financial decisions today, well-informed plans in the future. I think this is what we all talk about when we're like, why didn't we learn how to you know, invest in our 401k instead of calculus? Because it's a lot more useful. So that passed, that's in place, but what they want to do, and only one senator voted against this idea, was to add capitalism as a requirement. But there are 10 things that the bill requires that be taught. And they're not simple concepts. It's like the free market may have market failures in which the cost of certain economic activities is borne by others outside of the transaction. That is one of the, the 10 tenets. So this is not going to be taught in a day. And the, the, the Honesty for Ohio Education, which is a coalition that includes teachers unions, NAACP, Ohio Council of Churches, and others, is testifying against the bill because they said they're not going to have time to cover everything they need to in the class if they have to teach these 10 tenets of capitalism. My question is, if you really want people to understand capitalism, don't you have to explain to them what the alternates are? Will I understand capitalism as clearly if I don't understand how communism works? Because that's an alternative. It, it just seems like also, an odd one to, to if you're going to go down this road, educate right. people. And I mean, at least in, when I was in high school, I took a government class that I think like an AP government that covered some of this. And there's an, you know, you could take it in economics. Financial literacy does feel like this is supposed to be the day to day, how to manage your money, how to, how to invest in your future, hands on stuff rather than, you know, supply and demand and, and micro and macro economics. Yeah, I feel like capitalism belongs in an economics class, not a financial literacy class. Right, right. Right. I, it, it's, it's an odd fit, but the way they're prescribing it, it's got enormous holes. Oh, well. It's today in Ohio. I still can't believe it's the day after the Larry Householder conviction. It's such a huge moment. I, I wish we would learn the lessons for it. And you got to think those first energy guys and Sam Randazzo feel like dead men walking because clearly now the big focus comes to them. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. Thank you also. We heard a lot of people yesterday thanking us for the effort we put into covering the Householder trial. It was a financial sacrifice for us because it's not in our backyard. And it was delightful to get those notes of thanks. We appreciate them. Talk to you on Monday.